Well, as you see on the cover of your bulletin, we're talking about prayer, and the title of the message today is Big Mountains and Big Prayer because one of the most interesting things Jesus ever said about prayer, and I, and I know all of us are wanting to grow in our prayer life, and, and you've read this verse, you've heard this verse, and it's probably intrigued you before when Jesus said, if you have faith, you can cause a mountain to be picked up and thrown into the sea. And over the years, I've thought a lot about that verse. I mean, a, a mountain, because I've never seen that happen. Growing up in the mountains of Kentucky, um, on our farm, we, we were in a valley, and on, on three sides uh, were tall mountains. And on the other was the Kentucky River, and on the other side of that river was a, was a mountain that was almost vertical. And the mountains that, that, were, that surrounded us in that valley, on top of them, I can still remember as a kid, Climbing to the, now that's not a picture of our mountain, uh, but I can still remember climbing to the top of those mountains, and on top of them, there were these a series of, of rock formations. It, it's like you just had dirt and vegetation and trees, and all of a sudden there's a rock formation larger than this platform I'm standing on, about eight feet tall. There'd be one of those, and you'd go a, a distance, and there would be another one, and a distance and there would be another one so huge mountain and these huge rocks on top of them and so when I read Jesus saying if you have faith and you don't doubt you pray you can cause a big old mountain to be picked up and cast into the sea those are the kind of images that come to mind and what what is he saying have you ever been in the mountains when they build a a highway and all that heavy equipment and they make these big cuts And 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 some of the largest cuts in the country are in are in the area where I grew up, where, where they, they've moved rivers. They've moved part of a mountain to, to put a highway. But I've never seen them move a whole mountain, a range. They just, they just cut through. And, and, and it takes a long time just to, to, to cut through to put a highway, let alone move an entire mountain range. And yet Jesus said, if you, you know, have faith and don't doubt, you can cause a mountain to be picked up and thrown into the sea. And let me ask you, have you ever kind of been discouraged when you read something like that and thought, man, I, I, I must not have really good faith because I've never moved that kind of mountain. Any, anybody ever been there? Anybody ever said, well, I just don't know, in the back of your mind, I, I don't know if Jesus meant what he said or, or I don't understand it and so we just stop thinking about it and go on. Well, today I want us to, I want us to think about this a, a little bit. And it's in Matthew 21, so if you have your Bible, one of the places where Jesus said this, Matthew 21. I want to look at what he said, and then we'll look at context and try to understand it. In Matthew 21, beginning at verse 21, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, and here it is, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, I think a lot of times for us, those verses are encouraging and discouraging because they encourage us to pray, and yet prayers don't always get answered the way we would like them to be answered, and and then we read that, and it becomes what? Discouraging. So let's see if we can learn some things and and maybe be encouraged in our faith and and, and and, and our, our praying. Now, When you study Scripture, to properly understand things, context matters. And to understand context, you look at what comes before and what comes after. So you don't lift a verse out 
and, and look at it only in isolation because doing that can read can lead you to some misconceptions. So we you look at what, what happened before, what happened after. And a lot of times in the Gospels, the, the, the writers use what we call a what I call a sandwich approach. You know, when you make a sandwich, you have a piece of bread and then you have all the good stuff in the middle and then you put another piece of bread. Well, think of this this experience or these these verses as being part of the what's in the middle. And the bread on either side helps you to understand what's going on. And so if you back up in chapter 21, right in the middle, right at the very beginning of it, Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last week of his life on earth. So, you know, the triumphal entry, the palm branches and Hosanna and all of that. And after he settles, the Bible says in verse 12 of 20, chapter 21 that, that he goes to the temple, which was the center of worship among the Jewish people. And, and when he gets to the temple in verse 20, verse 12, he sees all of these people selling stuff. And he's angered because this was to be a place of prayer, a place of worship. It was to be a place of authenticity, a place of genuineness. But it was just a show. It was just a show. And, and here were all these vendors because you'd have to have certain animals or other things to participate in the sacrifices. And, and so they, they set up. Their, their shop, if you will, in the temple area, in the courtyards, and they were selling all this stuff and making lots of money off of all of these genuine people who were going in to worship because they had to have that stuff. And it, it had become very, very corrupt and commercialized, and Jesus sees that and he's unhappy. And the Bible says in verse 12 that he, he overturned the tables. John talks about that in his gospel. He, he chased them out. And can, can't you just imagine? He just goes in and he just turns everything upside down. And he's angry. In verse 13, he says, this place, this house is to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a, a den of robbers. And then interesting, verse 14, people started coming to Jesus, lame people, blind people, and he heals them. And it goes on to say that some of the people started recognizing that Jesus must be the Messiah, and they, they started saying, Hosanna, son of David. And so he was becoming popular. And as the story continues, the religious leaders, the ones who had had a hand in corrupting uh, the Jewish faith and what was going on in the temple, they get angry with Jesus. And in verse 17, he leaves the temple. It's the end of the day. He leaves the city, and he goes to Bethany. Now, Bethany is a little, little hamlet, if you will, about a little less than two miles outside of Jerusalem. And so what Jesus is doing is he's spending the evenings in Bethany, that's where Lazarus that he raised from the dead lived. And so he's staying there in a house, and then during the day he makes his way to Jerusalem and he ministers in the temple. And so when he cleanses the temple, he's in the temple, that evening he leaves, he goes to Bethany, spends the night, and then the next morning, story picks up in verse 18. The next morning, Jesus returns to the city. And on his way, he's hungry. And the Bible says in verse 19 that beside the road, he sees a fig tree. And fig trees produce fruit about 10 out of 12 months. And so he sees this fig tree and it has all of these green leaves on it. And he walks over to it expecting it to have some fruit so he could pick it and eat. But when he moves over to it, he's been deceived. All these leaves, but no fruit. Elsewhere in the Gospels, 
Jesus compared the temple and what happened there, compared the Jewish religious leaders and the emptiness within them, the failings of that faith as a, a barren fig tree that looked good on the outside, all the trappings, but no fruit. All the green leaves, all the activity, all the religious stuff, but no fruit, no changed lives. And the Bible says in verse 19, when he found nothing on it except leaves only, that he said to it in the middle of verse 19, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once, the fig tree withered, died. Now let me ask you, do you think Jesus killed that fig tree because he was angry it had no figs on it? Do you think that's what's really going on here? Or is Jesus making a point? His disciples see this in verse 20. And they're amazed and ask, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And in verse 21, that's when Jesus said, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, we're getting to, the, there's the sandwich. There's the, there's the stuff in the middle, the meat, the lettuce, the dressing. And we're back to the bread. Verse 23. He entered what? The temple. And immediately met the opposition of the religious leaders. Jesus is saying that fig tree is a picture, is a symbol of the temple. It's a symbol, it's a picture of religion that's all dressed up but dead on the inside, produces no fruit. It's a picture of what's going to happen to the temple. It's a picture of the fact that God is about through Christ and his followers to raise up a new people, to take the message of his love, the gospel, the transformation of human lives, forgiveness of sin, salvation through the cross to the world because those represented by the religion of the temple had failed to do so. And just like the fig tree died, Jesus later would say that not one stone would be left upon another of this temple. Jesus is saying to his disciples, and he said it in other places in the Gospels using similar language, you're about to see this great change take place. Because I'm going to have a people who will take my message to the world. And as you do that, you're going to come across some big mountains. And just like you're going to see me not only call this little fig tree to wither, you're going to see the temple in ruin. You're going to see a church build up as you take the gospel, building my church, building my church on the message of who I am, as you take the gospel into this world and into your neighborhood and into your workplace, you're going to encounter some mountains. Now sometimes those mountains, they take a lot of different forms, right? Things in our own lives, sickness, cancer, other issues. 
Sometimes it's the opposition of the people out there. It's things beyond our control, a lot of different mountains. So what, what, what can we learn from all of this? Well, I think the first thing I want you to see is that through everything, as you, as you obey the Lord through everything, you have to keep your eyes on Him and not on the mountain. Keep your eyes on the Lord, on Jesus, on God, and not on the mountain. One of the things about being in the mountains, you know, we, we don't get shade here in, the, in this area until the sun's pretty well gone. It has to be really low before the trees cast any shade around here unless you're just standing directly under a tree, right? But, but in the mountains, it can be 3 o'clock in the afternoon and there could be a large area in shade because the mountain is blocking the sun well before it gets down low enough for just one tree to do it. And sometimes mountains can cast a long shadow when you face them. I mean, it's just like it covers you in a shadow and darkness. And, and when that happens, it gets colder. And you don't see as easily as clearly. There's going to be mountains. They come in a lot of different shapes, cast long shadows. But through all of that, through all of that, you have to keep your eye on God, not the mountain, because the temptation is just to stare at the mountain. And the more you stare at the mountain, the more intimidating it becomes because in this story, Jesus is teaching that he is bigger than the opposition he faced during his ministry. That his mission is bigger than the reality of Judaism and world religions of that moment in time. And that you have to understand God has a purpose. And, 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 and the backdrop of this story is that the temple, it wasn't fulfilling its purpose. The religion of that day wasn't fulfilling its purpose. And, and God says, I'm going to do my work one way or the other with you or without you. Do you want to be part of it? So keep your eyes on the mountain because your faith, notice he says, if you have faith and do not doubt, what is it you're putting your faith in? Is it the mountain or your God? Is it your own ability or your God? You read the, old, the, the story in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king had erected this 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 idol and everybody was supposed to worship and if you didn't bow in and worship that idol you'd be thrown into a furnace of fire and here's these three Hebrew boys of great faith who were friends with Daniel Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and they, they it's reported that they don't worship they don't, they don't bow down and the king brings them to him and, and he says if you bow down and worship when the music is played everything will be alright but if you don't you're going to be thrown into the fire and it's interesting to me and I think informative what they said Daniel 3, verse 17, if it be so, if you throw us into the fire, our God whom we serve, now notice this, is able to deliver us. They didn't say he will. They said he's able. Able to deliver us from the furnace and out of your hand. In verse 18, but even if he does not, if he doesn't deliver us from the fire, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. 
Now, you know the story. They were thrown into the fire, and God rescued them. But notice their heart here. Because their focus could have been on the idol. Their focus could have been on the Babylonian king. Their focus could have been on the furnace. Their focus could have been on the fire. Their focus could have been on what was going to happen to them. But their focus was on their God and whatever he wanted. He's able. But if he chooses not to, we're still going to obey him and not you. Where was their focus? Where was their heart? And the reality is that in life, it is so easy for everything, good things and bad things, easy things and hard things, to draw our attention to them and away from Him. And so the first lesson is you got to keep your eyes on the Lord because whatever, life changes all the time, doesn't it? You know what never changes? God. He never changes. He never changes. Malachi 3.6, look at it there on the screen. I am the Lord. I do not change. Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he was able then, he's able today. If, if he was the one they were supposed to keep their focus on then, he's the one we're supposed to keep our focus on today. Look at some verses in the Bible that talk about God's ability because the focus here is on what God's trying to do to accomplish his purpose in the world. And we don't always understand completely how we fit into that and what's going on in our life fits into it, but we keep our heart and our soul and our mind on him through everything. Notice what he says in Philippians. He is able to subdue all things to himself. Nothing Bigger than God. He's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God. That if you come to Christ, He doesn't save you partly. He saves you completely. Look at 2 Timothy. He's able to keep what I've committed to Him until that day. That, that when you commit yourself to Jesus Christ, no matter what happens in your life, all the way up to the day of death and the day of the resurrection and the day of the judgment, God keeps you safe. And nothing can change that. He's able to aid those who are tempted. You want to live a more godly life? God's able to help you do that. Hebrews or, or Ephesians chapter 3. Let's go to the next slide. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think and fear him who's able to destroy both your body and soul in hell. The Bible over and over and over talks about God's ability and, and our need to keep our heart on him because it's all about his purpose. And do, do we always understand why God moves this mountain and why God doesn't move that mountain? No. But what we do know is that if we keep our heart and our eyes and our soul on him, he does stuff. He does stuff. Not always what we expect. Sometimes he surprises us, but he does stuff. About 30 years ago, missionary family serving in uh, South Africa, John and Sandy, they had two little girls. And they went out one day while they, they, they had some free time, went off. They wanted to just see some of the countryside and take some pictures. And so they stopped the car because down a little 
embankment, if you will, there was a there was a, a a lake and there were some elephants down there drinking. And so John got out of the car and walked a little distance from the car toward the lake, taking photographs. And he was doing that when he heard this this noise that sounded like thunder. And it just kept getting louder. And he he, he turned back around and he could see off in the distance a herd of elephants rushing toward the water. And between the water and that herd of rushing elephants was his car and his family and himself. And he can remember he could remember a, an older missionary telling them, never get between water and thirsty elephants. And he could see these images of of uprooted trees and overturned cars from scenes of the past. And he started rushing, started rushing back to his car. That was about 10 o'clock in the morning. Now all the way back in America, in his home state of Washington, it was about 1 o'clock in the middle of the night. His mom and dad felt this prompting, this strong prompting, this strong command, this strong urge to get up and pray for their son and his family. And so they got up and spent the next hour on their knees beside the bed praying for the safety of John and his family. And after an hour, they felt peace and went back to bed. About the time John rushes to his car and he, he opens the door the first elephants have reached it and he gets inside and he slams the door and suddenly they're just engulfed in dust and the car rattles but it's not trampled as that entire herd rushed by brushing the bumper on either end but not overturning the car a year later John is at his home church in Washington preaching and he tells that story. And, he, and, and, and remember, 10 o'clock in South Africa in Washington, it's 1 a.m. And in his sermon, when he finishes the story, he asks, what were you doing at 1 a.m. on May 24, 1985? And sitting in the congregation was his mom and dad. And only then did they know why they had been prompted to get out of bed at 1 o'clock in the morning and pray. I'd call that a mountain that got moved. But you see, it's the promptings of God. It's the promptings of God. It's about advancing His kingdom and His purpose and His gospel. And it's the promptings of God. He's still able to do things. But see, here's the second part that goes with that. It's not just about the mountain and, 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 and us keeping our eyes on him, but it's about us walking daily in fellowship and obedience with him and, and in his word. That's the second thing. Is not, not, don't just keep your eyes on him, but, but walk in fellowship and in obedience with him every, every day. Look at John Chapter 15, verse 7, if you have your Bible there for just a moment. Jesus said, if you abide in me, now notice this, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now what does that say? There's a connection between abiding in Christ and his word absolutely filling our being. 
so that when he prompts us, it's in keeping with his word. It's, it's not just one verse lifted out of context that anything I want, if I pray for it, my faith is strong enough, it'll happen. Because that kind of thinking has caused so many people to be devastated over the years. Because sometimes what God wants is not what we want. Sometimes God does things differently than we would want them done and we don't fully understand why. Is that not true? But it's, 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 it's God's Word in us and, and it teaches us everything about His will and His purpose and, and sometimes it means the elephants missed the car and then other times it means that God says, through your sacrifice, I'm going to move a different mountain. Through your sacrifice, I'm going to change a different life. Because we understand as disciples with our eyes fixed on him and feasting on his word that for us to live is game, is, 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 is profitable for others, but for us to die is game. We, we don't always know how God's working in this world, which mountains he's going to move. But when we're in tune with his word and his will and his, and his presence, we just keep our eyes on him and we love him and we realize that God's always working. And when we have that kind of faith and pray those kind of prayers, God does stuff. may not be everything we as humans would be, but when we're in fellowship with him, all right, God, what we want above everything is your kingdom to be advanced. And there are things that can get in the way of us praying like that. Sometimes we just don't, we just don't pray. James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. Sometimes it's, it's selfishness. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. It's like, a, you know when you go to the stores, you, you go to the grocery store, you go to Walmart, whatever store you go to a lot of times and you get up to the checkout and you've got all your stuff, okay? You've got your basket, you've got your buggy, you're carrying it in your hand, you lay it down on the conveyor and you're going to have them ring it up and pay for it and and it's all there. But have you noticed how they always have all this other stuff there also to tempt you? Huh? How many of you ever just, as you're waiting to be checked out, picked up something that was, you know, <laughs> you ever done that? Here's a magazine. Here's a drink. Here's a piece of candy. Here's a toy. Here's whatever it is. Here's a lip balm. Whatever, you know, whatever. You know, here's a flashlight. I don't need a flashlight, but it looks pretty, so I buy it because it's there in front of me. And here's a mom, and she's checking out, and her little boy, sees a little car and he picks it up and he begs her for it and he starts crying and she says no and he's screaming he wants it and she says no and and they get out and he says you never buy me anything the whole time not realizing that she uh, she's been saving some money to buy him this really nice bicycle he wants for his birthday that's two weeks off you think we ever do God that way That's why we have to abide in him and his word in us and us in his word and keep our eyes on him and not on the mountain, not on the hill, not on whatever it is that's just in front of us. Our prayer life can be hindered if there's sin in our life and we're not confessing it and dealing with it. Isaiah 59, verse 2, your iniquities have separated from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear doesn't mean we have to be perfect to pray, but it means when we pray we need to confess our sin and be cleansed. 
And the truth is, just weak faith can get in the way too, just not really believing, having no confidence in God. James 1, 6 and following, ask and don't doubt, etc. Faith does matter. But if you'll just bury yourself in His Word and spend time in His presence and pray, you begin to see the hand of God. And every time there's a mountain that wants to discourage you, if you're doing like that, God will do something over here on a different mountain that will encourage you. That's why if you just keep looking at that one mountain, you never see what God's doing over here. If you're so focused on the mountain that's in, that, that, you, that you see you, you, and, and not looking at God, you may not realize that God's trying to direct you to something else that he's doing. I like reading about uh, the revivals and God's work in the early days of our country. In, in Delaware, in the 1700s, when it was still wilderness, there was this, this preacher who died when he was 29 years old, David Brainerd. He, he had a heart for the Native, Native Americans. And, and so he decided to, to sort of be a preacher missionary to Native Americans, if you will. And he was on his way to a remote village of Native Americans. And, and some Indians knew he was, he was uh, there and that they were, they were trailing. He made his way close to their village and that evening. Before going on in, he, he decided he'd make camp. He'd go into the village the next day. And those who had been tracking him went in, told their leaders, and they said, well, um, we'll go back. And, and you got to understand, just like uh, you know in history, there, there was a lot of hostilities because by this point, by the time David Brainerd was there, many of the tribes were just so frustrated with, with the settlers because they had lied to them so many times and tricked them and deceived them. And and there'd been conflict, and so they decided they're going to go back, and they'll just they'll they'll kill him. And when they get back, David Brainerd is on his knees praying out loud, and they say they're not going to attack anybody while he's talking to the spirits while he's praying. Wait till he's done. An hour after hour after hour. He's on his knees praying out loud as they get sleepy. And they watch as a rattlesnake crawls right by him, stops right beside of him, and then suddenly just crawls on away. And they decide that this white man must have some real connection with the great spirit. And he would spend the next few years telling the story of Jesus to the members of that Native American tribe. See, sometimes when you're praying, you don't see the mountains. Because your focus is on a bigger mountain. Your focus is on seeing God's kingdom come on earth. Your, your focus is on seeing people saved. Your focus is on seeing lives change and that's the big mountain and the biggest of all is you just keep your eyes on him because it's all about his purpose abiding in him because there's always going to be mountains that's why we always have to be praying and walking with him stand with me for prayer